Do you like the work we're doing here at It's All Journalism? For as little as a dollar a month, you can help us continue the conversation about good journalism. Show your support by donating to our Patreon campaign. Go to itsalljournalism.com and follow the link at the top of the page to donate. We really are reaching audiences, and I know this is kind of at this point a cliche, but we really are reaching audiences that we otherwise wouldn't be reaching, specifically young audiences, people who, you know, might not have the time or the interest to sit down and read a Washington Post article, but really want to be captivated by, you know, 30 minutes where they can learn what they need to know about something that they care about. Welcome to It's All Journalism. I'm Michael O'Connell here with another podcast about digital journalism and the people who make it. This time around, we're talking about podcasting. No, wait, we're talking about journalism and podcasting. In the studio with me and fellow producer Nicola Grisco is Allison Michaels, a digital editor on the Washington Post National Desk. Welcome to the podcast, Allison. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, Allison is not just on the political desk, she's also a podcaster. Earlier this year, she launched Can He Do That, a podcast, which I really like a lot. Thank you. Um, so tell me about how that came about. Yeah. So after the election, we took a look at, we kind of took an inventory of the places where we thought the Post had succeeded during the election, the places where we could grow. And one of the areas where we really thought we needed to expand was into the podcast space, specifically into audio overall. And so when we looked to the idea of creating a podcast in this space, we looked to the questions that people wanted answers to. And the one question that we kept coming back to, especially during that transition period, was can President Trump do some of the things that he was saying he had interest in doing, some of the things he was he was doing already at that point? So a lot of people were raising that question to us, and we thought that it was a question that we should answer. Was it something that we could answer with a weekly feature? Would it have the same kind of impact to me, it didn't seem that way because we just wanted to really get to the heart of the way that people wanted to explore this. And they wanted to explore it conversationally. They wanted to kind of figure it out for themselves, go on a journey. And that doesn't necessarily come through in an article. So after Jessica Stahl, who's our podcast director, kind of approached myself and Steven Ginsburg, our politics editor, and said, we think we can do, we can make this work in this space we all decided to give it a go. And it was a long process to get there, but we managed to get it done by uh, the Monday after inauguration, which was quite a task. Yeah. And you made some really smart decisions at the beginning, one of which is the fact that you you, you hooked on to the, the question that everybody was asking is, you know, how is you know President Trump going to wield executive power and what is executive power? And, and we saw very quickly with a, a number of executive orders what that, what that meant. And I also like the fact that... Every episode is, is really kind of around a question. You know, can he do that? Can he do this? And the first episode, which was I thought was a super smart way to start, was, you know, can he be doing what he's doing on Twitter? Mm -hmm. And, you know, that, that was a great entree into what you're doing. And, you know, how much thought ahead of time did you put into this structure? Or was this like kind of, well, this could be a good approach? Oh, we put so much time into the structure. We actually tried a bunch of things um, because podcasting is relatively new at the Post. It required a lot of buy-in from different people to kind of go ahead with this idea. So that meant we came up with a couple of different demos. Again, I'm not a reporter. I'm actually an editor. So the idea of, you know, me kind of being this person who would report and really get to the expertise and the knowledge and have the sources wasn't necessarily the case. So we kind of had to figure out how we could 
get the best people to kind of tell this story, but still have it be guided by somebody who who had enough time, frankly, to be able to do it. And so that required us to to rely on the reporters. So the question became, how do we how do we tie the reporters into this? And we we ran a couple demos. We did one particular demo, which was about whether or not Trump could actually hire his his daughter, Ivanka, and whether or not he could hire Jared Kushner. Of course, that has since happened. And this week's episode is going to focus specifically on Ivanka. But, but you know, we tried that demo with um, one of our great reporters, Ed O'Keefe, and we sent it up the chain. It was not our best work. Uh, we have refined since then. But yeah, it was definitely a process to, to figure out the, the format that made sense for people. Yeah. And I listened to the first couple of episodes and, and before this interview, I went back and got the last three or four. And you definitely have, you know, tightened it up I think there was sort of a looseness to the, to the, to, this is real like podcasting geeky yeah. stuff, but, <laughs> but I, you know, I think you're, you're on a, on a great track with it. And, and what's, I mean, I hope this doesn't come out the wrong way. This is the least the post should be doing in podcasting. <laughs> you guys have a, a richness of, of content producers that at your, at your beck and call, I assume beck and call, or at least availability to you. Um, and, and a way to leverage those around a topic like this, it's just, it just provides a wonderful little wrinkle to to the political coverage that you're already doing that's really great. Yeah. No, so one thing that makes our podcast operation at The Post even feasible is the idea that we have content creators and experts and reporters around the room who really want to be a part of this. They see this, as we all do, as a, a piece of our larger political coverage. And given that that's the case, people want to participate. They want to lend lend their expertise. One thing that I think is really exciting about taking this to to podcasts specifically is we really are reaching audiences. And I know this is kind of at this point a cliche, but we really are reaching audiences that we otherwise wouldn't be reaching. Specifically, young audiences, people who, you know, might not have the time or the interest to sit down and read a Washington Post article, but really want to be captivated by you know, 30 minutes where they can learn what they need to know about something that they care about. Beyond that, an international audience, we've seen a ton of international interest about this podcast, specifically Canadians who are like, this is an important piece of our coverage. It's something that we want to understand, yet we can't understand it. We don't have the basic knowledge of the laws. We don't really know where President Trump is brushing up against history and the Constitution. Help us figure it out. And they've really found a lot of help and information in the way that we've presented this podcast. So podcasting really became sort of a natural a natural space for us to enter with this particular question. Now, I would imagine also it's a bit of a challenge doing a really a news podcast. I mean, last week, podcast that went up was around, it was healthcare. Mm -hmm. And you released that on Friday. And by Friday afternoon, the story had changed. Uh, well, I mean, it was the same story, but it was different. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're working on an Ivanka uh, story as well. And so what is your, you know, what's the rollout for like a, an episode? You know, when do you start thinking what's, what's the next episode going to be and how far out are you applauding things? Sure. I have to tell you with that healthcare episode, I'm very tempted to release what is it, almost a blooper reel. We recorded three different versions of that episode or, you know, not entirely different, but with different transitions um, and different information, depending on what had happened. I remember in that episode, I said, as of Friday morning, a vote hadn't, hadn't hit the floor. And at 12.01, I was so victorious <laughs> that a vote hadn't actually hit the floor at that point. Um, we were going to kind of just hope that, you know, it made sense in that context. And so it's really, it's really difficult is what I'll, the, the answer to your question. We, about a week before, we the Friday before, we sit down 
we have a long list of reader submitted ideas and sort of more evergreen pieces. But the week before we we sit down, we look at what's happening the following week. Is it a Gorsuch nomination? Is it something like the healthcare legislation? And we try to figure out if we can do it by the following Friday and how we can do it. And then which reporter in the room is the expert on that? And are they available in what is likely their busiest week covering this particular thing to add podcasting onto their schedule? So we usually do that. We identify the reporter. We talk to them. We get buy-in from them. And then early in the week, we nail down sort of the historical interviews. So something we do on the podcast is we start off by establishing historical precedent, usually. That's usually the format we work with. And in that, we talk to a historian who tells us what's happened in the past in this particular context. And that can be done. That Those interviews can be done really early in the week. That information doesn't change. But the second interview, which is often with someone like a, a congressman or a senator or you know, somebody who's particularly tied to the news. We end up doing that on like Wednesday or Thursday, late in the day. We have one person, the amazing Carol Alderman, who edits all of the content and works closely with myself and with Jessica Stahl to make sure we're, we're putting the right things in there. But we are working till the end. We've stayed up till one or two in the morning and these episodes publish at three to make sure that everything that we're saying is still accurate, to make sure we haven't missed any changes it's quite a challenge. It's easier when there's something on the calendar to look forward to. But I'll, I'll, our second week, the immigration ban happened. In two days, basically, we spun up an immigration episode, which was exciting for us and quite an adventure at the time. <laughs> I like the fact that you you put the you include the historical context of it. There, it gives a, a lot of layers to just a regular podcast rather than just have you could just have the expert in and you guys would just talk for a half hour and then move out, sort of like this thing. Uh, but <laughs> The, by the fact that you bring in these other voices, and in particular with the um, the healthcare one, having a, have a, a Republican lawmaker in there with you, giving his perspective was, you know, I had a much richer experience for it. I, I felt I understood not only, you know, what was at stake, but, you know, sort of the political implications around it. And that's, you know, that makes for, for really engaging content. That's the word <laughs> I'm looking for. So now you, you kind of mentioned that you've heard from some of your, your audience, what, what's been the feedback so far? Yeah, largely the audience has been grateful. <laughs> what they have shared is I love having my questions answered. I have some people who've said things like, you approach this the way I might approach it, which is to have some surprise and some, you know, not deep, deep knowledge of some of this subject matter. I think people really appreciate that. We do have a spectrum of readers at the Washington Post, especially as we've grown over the past few years. So we're no longer just this kind of targeted inside the beltway kind of publication. We reach people all over the world and with all different levels of knowledge about this. So from the people who have less knowledge and are less sort of tapped into the 24 hour news cycle, they find reward in, you know, a clear and easy understanding of, of this material. And to the people who are tapped in, they've shared that they get something totally new out of this, which is a direct, clear answer to the questions that they have, but with the added context and the added knowledge of Washington Post reporter expertise. So we've really hit a sweet spot, I think, where people kind of anywhere on the spectrum can listen and find value in it. But what I do get all the time is people saying, people tweeting at me, Allison, can he do this? That's like a very regular occurrence or people around the newsroom kind of or friends. Anytime something happens and somebody wants to ask the question about anything, if anybody can do something, I'm often people say, can he do that? <laughs> so that's not been super pleasant, but it's that good. is. Yeah. Gotten, gotten a little old, maybe, 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 <laughs> right. maybe come up with something a little different. You know, I've been doing this podcast about journalism, about digital journal journalism for about four years. 
And I, you know, it's been really kind of great to have sort of a front seat in DC and watching how the, the post has really transformed itself. The post, for those who didn't know it, had sort of a checkered history when it came to digital news. I think we had a podcast when Jeff Bezos uh, bought it and we had all the producers in and we didn't have a guest and we just sort of talked about what could, what could this mean? And, you know, shortly after that, I went to a, a presentation by the online news association and it was by, I think it was six people from the, the post digital team. And it, it was the things they were saying and just sort of the attitude sort of signaled to me that, you know, this was a newsroom that was moving in a, in a very different direction than it had before. And I think we're seeing that play out. Uh, granted, the people who who had made that presentation went off and, and started Vox.com, but that's a that's a different story. But Ezra and Melissa. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> but the thing is, I mean, you know, we're kind of in an interesting place. Certainly, that's played out over the uh, over the election, pre-election, post-election campaign. That's the word I'm looking for. And um, the Post has really been, you know, as a political reporter, you could you can attest to this. You guys have have really been at the front of confronting President Trump and candidate Trump, you know, much to, you know, his delight, I think, in a way. Now he had somebody to that he could identify and, and fight. I don't want to say just the post. He's, he's picked on a lot of a lot of news organizations. So what has been, you know, let's look back to the beginning of 2016. What, what's been the focus of the post political team, their approach? Yeah. So Stephen Ginsburg leads the post politics team. He is an incredible editor. He drives people to be collaborative, to share ideas, to, you know, go after the things that maybe would cause trepidation or that might, you know, maybe in the past we wouldn't have necessarily gone for. He really makes sure that what we're doing is fair and what we're doing is balanced, but also holding the president and everybody, you know, in positions of power to account. He makes that a priority. Of course, our, the Washington Post as a whole is led by Marty Baron, and Marty Baron has famously said, you know, we're not at war with the administration, we're at work. And I think that that idea kind of penetrates the entire newsroom. As you mentioned before, with this podcast specifically, you know, we have made sure to have Republican senators on. We've had people from both sides of this perspective consistently because there are two perspectives here or there's many many more than two perspectives here and i think that ultimately what good credible journalism comes down to is the the ability to hold people to account based on history based on precedent based on law and based on things that that you know accountability is founded on and so stephen ginsburg leads that he leads the collaboration um people want to do great work and under jeff bezos we're fortunate to be able to do great work we have the resources and kind of the ambition and that that's at the core of it. Okay. Well, now you're 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 on the political desk. Tell me about your journey. Where did you how did you end up here? How did you end up becoming a political podcaster? <laughs> yeah, I actually did not work in politics all that much. I, you know, I spent time at I had countless internships as a person who graduated college in 2010, you know, amid oh. sort of the bad journalism times we all remember. Unpaid internships was my game. I did a lot of them. So, you know, the Washington City paper. I worked at the public radio station, Michigan Radio in Ann Arbor. I worked at MediaBistro.com. I worked basically, if you name it, I probably worked there. <laughs> um, and what's been really interesting for me is that what I never did was work at other than the city paper, which had an, is an alternative weekly and it had a print product. I really never worked for a print product. 
or not not a primarily print product or a print product that wasn't on its way out when I started working there. So my career has largely been 100% digital. And that is fascinating to me because there are certain things that, you know, legacy approaches at the post that are incredibly valuable, but reflect a time that I'm just unfamiliar with. So that's been interesting for me. I worked for several years as a travel editor at US News and World Report, very, very different. And I made my way to the post after Jeff Bezos decided to hire um, a group of people who were digital thinkers. I was hired to work on our national suite of apps. They're internally called the Rainbow Apps. That team is now called the Emerging News Products Team. And that is the native apps that appear on, that were built originally for Kindle Fire devices. And so we built that app to really reach new audiences there through a partnership with Amazon Prime. And from there, I moved over to the politics desk in before the election in October of 2015. Well, tell me about the app aspect of, of your career. Was were you, were you involved in the technical side of it, the content side, the design? Yeah, so that team was actually quite incredible because they took, to build this project, uh, Julia Beiser and Corey Hike took a group of people, developers, designers, editorial people like myself, and put us basically in this part of the old, the kind of the bowels of the old Washington Post building. We were kind of sequestered there. And in that capacity, we all worked together. And I know that that sounds likely impossible, but it's true in that every new, there was an editorial representative who worked very closely with the developers. The developers would build the app, kind of work with that representative to decide if it worked for the editorial team. The editorial team, you know, would pitch stories and ideas and headlines to the designers to see if the designers could think of a visual approach to that. Then, you know, we worked back and forth in that capacity. So I personally worked on choosing those stories, writing those headlines, assembling what would go in there and, you know, working with designers to make sure it felt editorially sound and that kind of thing. But it was really such a collaborative effort. I learned more about product in that position than many others. Well, well, tell me about then the post sort of approach to product uh, in the way they sort of roll it out in different types of content. Yeah. So the way that the post is set up right now, we we have our newsroom and then our product team is actually is largely separate. But what makes the post great is that there's so many people who kind of fall in this in-between category. So people like myself who, you know, some people might consider a podcast a product. I consider it a medium. I consider it a way to, to tell journalism stories differently. But kind of each of our products, if you will, which are essentially platforms, things like Snapchat, uh, we're on Snapchat Discover, things like our apps, you know, all of these different products that we have that are editorial products. We have representatives on a product team who work closely with the editorial creators who build stuff out for those products. And that intersection is really is really interesting because that way the product people are invested in the editorial interests and have a good understanding of that. And the editorial people are invested somewhat in the product interests because they we all have the same goal, which is to make sure that the person consuming the content on this particular product is doing it in a way that is best for them. So we all have that that common goal in mind. I do think, though, there is some rethinking that the Post is constantly doing, reshaping of the idea that a reporter who's been covering environmental policy or something like that for 40 years can see the story that they're writing as product, right? Journalism as a commodity is kind of a hard thing to sell if you've always thought of it, of like your story as this singular kind of piece of work that just told, you know, just existed in in its one way. So figuring out how to reapply those things is really has been a really interesting journey for everybody at the post and especially for me. I think the strongest people at the post are those who live in that in-between space between product and editorial and can understand, 
you know, what a, what a user needs, but what makes a, an important journalistic story. It's a hard space to fill. And I think it's kind of the future of the journalism industry in a lot of ways. But yeah, we're, we're certainly working towards that. And we have a lot of amazing people who, who are able to do that. And the product that you work on is a podcast. So in this, this case, is yeah. this is something new. Now, the, the, the Postist had tried podcasting before. What inspired them to come back to it to say, hey, this is something we need to get into? Yeah, I think that for, for the Washington Post, we saw a lot of opportunities in audio. So obviously there's revenue opportunities in audio. Uh, it's something that's growing and developing all the time. But in addition to that, like I mentioned before, it reaches audiences that we otherwise wouldn't reach. And we were we were well aware of that. There's a reason why all of our competitors are in audio. There's a reason why the New York Times started the Daily. And that's because people are busy. <laughs> people don't always have time to to read a lot of people commute to work in a car or walking. I mean, you guys know all the reasons why why people like to listen to podcasts, but I think those reasons are becoming more and more integral into the day-to-day -day lives of news consumers and especially the next generation's news consumers. So I think we all saw it as an integral space for us to be if we were going to capture new audiences because you guys know podcasts are free. Anybody can access them. You don't need a Washington Post subscription. And so in that way, you know, they reach people who might say, wait, the Washington Post does have something to offer me. It's a gateway in a lot of ways for people who might not otherwise access our content. Have you had people who reached out to you and said that they wouldn't have read a post story or had followed up this story if they hadn't heard the podcast? Yeah, many people tell us that it's among their favorite parts of uh, their Washington Post coverage. Some people have said to me that it's the best money, it's the best they've gotten out of their Washington Post subscription, which often makes me laugh because, of course, you don't need a Washington Post subscription to listen to the podcast. But a lot of people... I have many, many people say, you know, I'm this expat living abroad and I don't have access to cable. And so this is how I keep up with it. And this has been really helpful for me to kind of have an end of the week, you know, digest on the one issue that is important that particular week or one of many. There are many important issues every week, but one of many. So what would you say to a journalist who likes podcasts, who might have an idea for a podcast? What, what advice would you give them? Start small. <laughs> that is the advice I would give. I think that we sort of expected our first go at this to just be, you know, a series of interviews. We can edit that together. That will be easy enough. Keeping up with the news and making sure that it is editorially balanced and all, of, all that goes into editing and putting together a podcast and thinking about structure and booking guests. And it can be really, really challenging. I think that if you have an idea, you should go for it. But first, you should try just an inter interview-based podcast or something, you know, that's a little bit, and you guys know an interview-based podcast isn't all that easy, but, you know, it's a good entry point. It's a good way to, you know, you don't have to create a story structure necessarily, but you'll learn the ropes when it comes to planning out your questions and planning, you know, what, what you want to get out of it and what you expect your listeners to want to get out of it and taking it through the entire process uh, to the end. And I think that that is a good tip. Start small. <laughs> so how many episodes do you got so far? About? I think about uh, 10. This will be our 10th tomorrow. Okay. So in those 10 episodes, what, what do you see different now? What were the things that sort of jumped at, out at you, the surprise that you made you change things or uh, approach them differently? One criticism we got of our first episode, which I completely agree with, was that it was very heavily scripted. You know, we, again, are learning every week. One thing that we've learned over the course of this is you're not always going to get the exact thing out of somebody that you want them to say at that exact moment. Kind of be flexible in that way and let the listeners kind of experience it for themselves. You know, we don't all hear what we want to hear. There are obviously podcasts that, you know, you're creating a story. And in this case, we're creating a story, but not a narrative story, more of a story targeted at finding an answer to a specific question. So, 
yeah, that's what I would say. Um, I've learned. I've also learned that preparation is key. So prepare hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, uh, learn a little bit about who you're going to interview, write some questions up, if not for them, for you, mm -hmm. structure things, try to imagine everything that could go wrong, conquer your technical problems as soon as you can, because yep. they're going to keep haunting you if you don't. How did you learn to strike that balance between over scripting and becoming more conversational? Because I know that's something that we talk about all the time and something that I feel like you know, people who have that very traditional mindset, either in radio or in print, come from, you know, you need to be scripted. You need to have something written out. You need to stick to a specific format. I don't know how you've managed to work on that a little bit. Yeah, well, the first part is just that I myself have become more comfortable in the medium, which is something, you know, I wasn't a native podcast host. So so part of it is that. But I think even more importantly is really thinking about what you hear when you listen to a podcast, because I think some of the natural experience, some of the some of the stumbles, some of those things that make it so intimate, that make it so human are actually some of the best parts of a podcast. And I think once you accept that, you kind of free your own thinking so that you're not so limited in in the way that you want to talk and explore things. That being said, you know, there are points that you miss when you do it that way. There are things that you want to cover that you might you might leave out, but it's about being comfortable with that. And, you know, it's always about being right. It's always about being accurate. So as long as it's accurate, if it's less than perfect, but it's completely accurate, I think that we need to be okay with that. We need to we need to be flexible. Again, that's something I really like about your podcast. It's not so I mean, it's loose. It's loose. You make jokes every once in a while. You <laughs> laugh at something. Or, I try. or you Unlike me, who, who wanders around with his questions all the time. You, I mean, you're on task with what the question is, but you're willing to sort of go to the side. And people appreciate that. I think, you know, one of the things that, that I've I've noticed about podcasting, this is, this is no big, great revelation. You, you just listen to enough podcasts, you realize that people identify authenticity. And, you know, if something's really structured and manufactured, then, you know, they can sense that. So it's a, it's a 5.30 on a Thursday. Are you done with this podcast? Are you? We are not even close to done. So what do you do? Are you going back to the post? Or are you I'll probably go home? finish from home. Again, Carol Alderman, who does the actual editing, she'll send us a rough cut. You know, we go back and forth for a few hours about what goes into that rough cut. Um, so it does, it will be a process that takes us into the night. Although this episode, I think... We, we tried to get ahead of it a little bit, and I think we're refining our process every week, but it takes a lot of time. I think that has been what was most surprising to me when I signed on to do this. Again, I have another full-time job, so when I signed on to do this, I said, well, I'll just be the host. I'll come in. I'll ask questions. Ten minutes. Ten Pops. minutes, you know? Like, I'll, I'll be able to do that, and it's just simply not the case. No, podcasting takes a lot of time. Yeah. And, I mean, do you feel like the pace of this administration is faster or I, I mean, cause I think the first few weeks, at least here, we were kind of scrambling and we're, we're used to, you know, government work slowly. So it took us, I think a little while to speed up, but I wonder if that's something that you all talk about is just how this administration is moving. Yeah. I remember, you know, after the election, we had all hoped to, you know, we all had these visions for what we were going to do, go on vacations, like, you know, breathe. And the pace with which action has come out of the White House has just been tremendous. You know, we're kind of tr trying to keep up at all times. Specific to the podcast, I mentioned that immigration ban example before, but just in general, I mean, there were some weeks where we threw up our arms and we're like, 
I don't know what to cover <laughs> because there are so many questions, so many sort of challenges to the Constitution and all of these things that really made it difficult to kind of boil it down to one particular thing a week. I do think it's slowed down a bit. It's been a little bit easier to kind of figure out what we want to cover. Though I will say, you know, this week's Ivanka episode, we were like, we'll do this one. It's a little bit more evergreen. We thought uh, we, we did most of our interviews on Monday and Tuesday, spoke specifically with a lawyer, you know, the chief ethics lawyer for, for George W. Bush, who had been against Ivanka having a role. And that wasn't labeled specifically White House employee. And within a day, that entire interview was kind of defunct. We had to get him on the phone today to kind of give us an update. So even when you expect it not to be, you know, something that's so pressing with the news cycle, it, it turns out to be. And that's been exciting. That's certainly been a challenge. Well, and we're looking at it strictly as journalists. I know that you know, the audience, the readers, the users, I mean, they're, they're in this as well. They see things changing so quickly and the whole idea of, you know, oh my God, what, what, what is this supposed to mean? So again, it's important for have, have something like this provides people with access to this information and a perspective mm -hmm. uh, that's for our very important jobs yeah. and, and whatnot, <laughs> <laughs> whatever it is. We're important people. No, we're not. We're just journalists just trying to do our work here. Um, Allison, this is a great yeah. Thank you for coming in. Thank you so much for having me. This was no. fun. Next time on It's All Journalism. You know, for us, it was really cool to put together some of this new technology that's being used, as Daniela mentioned, to reach immigrants, to reach experts, to reach folks to talk about these issues, but also a good way to put together some of the experts like Julia Preston, who moved recently from the New York Times to the Marshall Project, who's been covering this for decades and who has a really good understanding and is providing some really foundational analysis right now for the public, for the audience, but also for other journalists who are coming into this topic. In our next podcast, we talk to California journalist Daniela Gerson and Elizabeth Aguilera about Migratory Notes, a pop-up immigration newsletter they produce. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about digital media. Find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Podcast One. This week's episode was edited by Nicola Grisco. Amber Healy provided our web content. Nick Dupre wrote our theme music, and I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Hey, I've written a book. You can order copies of Turn Up the Volume, a Down and Dirty Guide to Podcasting on our website. Visit itsalljournalism.com and follow the link at the top of the page. Isn't it time you started your podcast? Do you like the work that we're doing here at It's All Journalism? Now you can show your support on our Patreon page. Follow the link at the top of our website and donate. For as little as a dollar a month, you can access exclusive content and receive updates about upcoming episodes. Donate a little bit more and we'll send you cool swag like our It's All Journalism mug or a signed copy of my podcasting book. There are even opportunities for you to submit ideas for future shows or even appear on an episode. Go to itsalljournalism.com and click on the Patreon link to find out more. It's All Journalism is produced in partnership with the Association of Alternative News Media. Thanks for listening. The Target USA podcast with your host, J.J. Green. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. That could touch the whole of the United States. ISIS. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to see an attack. This is J.J. Green. Join me each week for the latest on U.S. and international security on Target USA. The Target USA podcast. Find it on iTunes, the Podcast One app, podcastone.com, or at WTOP.com. Search Podcast DC. 
the Capital Culture Podcast with your hosts, Rachel Nania and Jason Fraley. We have a new podcast called Capital Culture. Each week, we go in-depth with chefs like Marcus Samuelson and writers like Bon Appetit's Adam Rappaport. We'll also talk plays with Kathleen Turner, movies with Emma Stone, and music with Smokey Robinson, not to mention some of your favorite WTOP voices. The Capital Culture Podcast. Find it on iTunes, the Podcast One app, podcastone.com, or at WTOP.com. Search Podcast DC.